0: percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey Shannon, how you doing?
0: Great, John. How are you doing this week?
1: Oh, not doing too bad. Uh, been busy doing some lab maintenance, trying to replace a bunch of capacitors on our testing apparatus in the lab, so that's been uh, quite a fun week.
0: (laughs) I bet it wasn't as fun as the maintenance being done on the KGRK radar. Did you hear about that?
1: (laughs) No, what was happening down in Texas?
0: (laughs) Well, apparently down in Texas, um, due to complications involving a rattlesnake during their upgrade, (laughs) the radar will remain down (laughs) through the overnight hours and possibly into Wednesday afternoon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's quite possibly one of the best weather service statements I've seen in quite oh, a while.
0: I know. I've read a lot of good things on ASOS, but um, <laughs> I haven't seen rattlesnake maintenance. I mean, I don't know if you've been in a radome, but it's, you know, the big radars up high in the air, and you have to crawl up a ladder, and it's like a two-foot hole you stick your head through. Where was this rattlesnake? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it had to be almost sitting on the door to uh, to go in the bottom of the radome or something. And you really wouldn't want to be the person, uh, the standard tower I think is 90 feet for those, so you really wouldn't, wouldn't want to be 90 feet in the air and uh, stick your head through a two-foot hole that you know there's a rattlesnake in there.
0: Probably taking public service a little too far when you get that job. <laughs> well, I hope he gets out of there. I don't know if they have an intern station out there to make sure he crawls away or how they're going to know he's out of the radome, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. if getting the wrong spot in the radome. It's a 250-kilowatt radar. It <laughs> could be bad for the rattlesnake.
0: Ah. Well, I hear they taste like chicken, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Yep. <laughs> so what about you? What have you been doing this week?
0: Oh, the same thing, actually. Probably a lot of lab stuff. Um, I have some undergraduate researchers who I'm teaching to use our lab, and we have some pretty finicky computers in there, so it takes a lot of hand-holding to get everything right.
1: I imagine. And since you're collecting data on these computers, that can kind of take us right into today's topic of, I hope you have it backed up. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, yes and no. (laughs) We do have an elaborate backup system in there because we have some really old software. New computers, old software. And the old software is super finicky, and so... We have a lot of different backup mechanisms for each step that we record our data just so we don't lose it because we've lost Hmm. it in the past.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you say an elaborate backup system, that worries me a little bit because (laughs) elaborate and reliable generally don't go in the same sentence. Oh, it's so
0: true. Um, I never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, (laughs) We used to because our software is so old, the computer doesn't like it and it will randomly rewrite all our data randomly oh yeah <laughs> so you forget to press one little button and our all of our data is rewritten and in our lab we're doing we're cooking rocks and trying to unlock their magnetism so once you've cooked them past a certain temperature you can't recook them like you have one shot to unlock the magnetism at a certain temperature and we do you know 20 30 temperature steps all the way from room temperature to 700 degrees c so that's a lot of steps to um, record this data. And they're tiny little data files, so that's not a problem. But just the possibility of losing a step and rewriting all of your data, and this irreplaceable rock, you can't get it back, has led us to this elaborate, yet not reliable <laughs> <laughs> backup system. But we don't have anything automated. It's literally, you have to back it up by hand every time you take a measurement. So maybe that's not the best way to go about backing up our data.
1: Yeah, that's easy to forget steps. And really that's kind of one of the key points of a backup is it's got to be automated so you don't forget it, and it kind of takes place seamlessly. If there's any activation energy to get over, a lot of times we just don't do it.
0: (laughs) I mean, we're paying people, so you think that that would overcome the activation energy, but as we know, money doesn't always motivate people to do a good job. So... This is a good point, and I think we need to look into getting some type of automation in our backup just because this is irreplaceable data.
1: Right. So, I guess we should talk about kind of what makes a good backup. Well, clearly, so- I don't
0: know because we don't have a good backup system. <laughs> but I know you and I have talked about there are a lot of different ways that you can back stuff up, right?
1: Yeah, there are all kinds of backups, and we'll talk about a few of the types. But kind of one of the simple things to do is bits are cheap. Uh, you can get a terabyte hard drive for $100 and a little bit of change. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable, especially considering I think the first computer I built, a four gigabyte hard drive was somewhere in the neighborhood of $500. <laughs> now and it's
0: I like didn't less think I would five. ever <laughs> fill it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can get a uh, 64 gigabyte thumb drive for less than $20 now.
0: I remember in this in this exact same lab we got our first 128k memory sticks and we had to plug them into the back <laughs> of computer and we were all so amazed because we didn't have to use the floppy disks anymore. <laughs> so I remember that. We've come a long way. We actually have, mm-hmm. you know, a USB port on the computer now <laughs> as opposed to when we first got those memory sticks, but
1: right. Well, and how cheap these bits are and the fact that the storage is so small makes it really easy to have a local and an offsite copy of a backup, which is absolutely crucial to any backup system, that redundancy.
0: Right. And we don't really have that. Like We don't have that at all. You just take your own data off of it and you know, hope that everyone has also a copy of their own data, which is not good practice. <laughs>
1: No, and there's even been some cases uh, I know of students, graduate students, that their apartment complex caught on fire, and their laptop and their backup hard drive were sitting on their desk, and there went their entire data set Ooh, for their dissertation.
0: That makes my stomach just turn over thinking about because that's one thing that you did teach me a long time ago is that you need multiple backups in different locations, so you should be proud of me that I at least do that. <laughs> now, the timing of my backups is another matter, but I have two separate hard drives. One lives somewhere else. One lives at next to my computer, essentially.
1: Oh, that's great, because, I mean, not only can you have fire, but there's also theft. If somebody breaks into your office or breaks into your apartment, they're probably going to take everything on your desk, including your backup.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, electronics, period whatever it is i mean even though my backup looks like a liquor flask that probably makes it even more susceptible to being (laughs) stolen (laughs) now
1: one thing that i do that i haven't really heard anybody else talk about is i make sure that my two backup drives are different brand and model hard drives
0: wow i never thought of that i mean mine are but not on purpose but that's a good point because, because
1: I've t- I've taken some failed hard drives apart where it looked like maybe a bearing inside just disintegrated from age, you know, it's sat there and on a shelf for a long time. I said, "Oh, what if one of these hard drives?" And I know that for a while, Seagate Barracudas had a problem where they would they were very premature failing oh, drives.
0: Okay, so. See, look, I'm even more advanced than I thought I was since I have two different types of hard drives as well. (laughs) Mostly because of cost, but, I mean, I didn't think about that. That's an excellent point.
1: Yeah, so definitely get two different models. I mean, Seagate, Western Digital, uh, Hitachi, there's all these brands out there. So just make sure that you have two different types. And also, archive something that you're going to be able to open in the future.
0: Okay. If you have a
1: backup of a bunch of documents or a bunch of data files that you're not going to have a program to open in, say, the next five years when you want to get to it. it's You might as well not have the data backed up.
0: That's a good point. We had some of our backup when we were changing computers in our lab were on um, those iOmega zip disks. And mm-hmm. so we couldn't find a computer to even open them up on. <laughs> in addition to being in a weird format, the actual backup was in a weird format. so. You know.
1: Yeah, I guess that really would apply to physical and <laughs> yeah, exactly. digital formats. Yeah, exactly, because, like,
0: there they sit, those big zip disks, <laughs> you know. So that's a, that's an excellent point as well. But, I mean, what? so what exactly are you backing up? Because I know I struggle with finding the time to do backups. I try to tell myself, like, at the beginning of every semester, I'm going to do a full backup, but then... As the semester goes on, I try to just sort of throw, especially when I was writing my thesis, you know, throw different document copies onto a hard drive or onto, say, an online backup service. But, I mean, how important is it to get into a routine on these backups?
1: For me, it's very important, but as you know, I'm a creature of habit, and based on the day and the time, you can predict where I am to a pretty good accuracy.
0: And probably what you're wearing and what coffee you're drinking, but...
1: Yeah, it's true. And so I actually have reminders set up that at the beginning of every month, it pops up and it says, it's time to switch your hard drives. So I get my backup hard drives that go to the office, out of my fire safe at home, take them to the office... And I bring my backup from my laptop from the office home, and I do my switch out every month.
0: Okay. All right. So you're backing up your entire system at that time?
1: No. So I actually do incremental backups. All right. And what happens is I use Time Machine since I'm a Mac person, and I have my backup hard drive connected to my computer all the time. And every hour, it takes a snapshot of all the changes I've made in the last hour. Okay. So it doesn't take a full backup. It just does this incremental what happened since the last time it backed up.
0: Okay, which makes sense. And then
1: it'll throw the hourly backups out as it starts running out of space and just keep weekly. And then as it runs out of space, those get thrown out for monthly.
0: Is this something that, like, you wrote a script to do, or is this something normal people could utilize?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is built into OS X. Okay. All you have to do is plug in the hard drive, open Time Machine, and say, use this drive.
0: Okay. All right. So that's pretty easy.
1: Yeah. Trick is when you have a uh, laptop to not forget to plug in the drive.
0: Ah, uh, because then it just sits there and looks for it, and nothing happens at all, right?
1: Right. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's an important step. I don't know if there's anything similar for Windows machines, if anybody knows of anything. Uh, let us know or let Shannon know so she can start using it.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I'm the Windows person, but as we have all found out, I'm not the technology person. So <laughs> I would like to also take advantage of that sort of backup system because I know I sweated it out writing my thesis, you know, and preparing a manuscript now. It makes me really nervous. So having the backups in places where I know they are, because I know I've backed mm-hmm. them up, but you got to be able to find them to use them if anything happens too. That would, be, yeah. that would be nice.
1: <laughs> well, and so one of the kind of nice thing about Time Machine is, say my laptop got stolen. I can go buy another laptop, plug in my Time Machine drive, and say, restore this laptop to the last snapshot that you had of my old one. Everything, my settings, my scripts, my desktop background, even. every <laughs> It's just like my old laptop, but on a new physical hardware.
0: Oh, uh, that's awesome. I mean, and not even if it got stolen. Just when you get a new laptop how awesome is that? Like, I know I resist upgrading my computer because I don't (laughs) want to have to by hand move everything over and do that sort of, you know, manual digital labor.
1: (laughs) Right. But that is an incremental backup, which means all those changes are stored in a database. And occasionally I've had the case where that gets corrupted.
0: Oh, through no fault of your own? Just randomly? Through no
1: fault of my own other than unplugging the hard drive in an unfortunate time or having a power failure in an
0: unfortunate time. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah.
1: Because my computer is on a battery backup, but my backup hard drive is not.
0: Well, or that's... was not, I should say. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it?
1: <laughs> right. So, once again, it's valuable having multiple types of backup. And another type of backup is a full backup uh, where you could just copy all your files over. Or what I prefer to do uh, with an app like SuperDuper is what's called a clone. Where I just buy another hard drive, since hard drives are cheap, yep. and I clone my hard drive onto this one. So it's an exact mirror copy of what I've got. And if something should happen, I could swap it into the system if my other one failed. No problem. So
0: there's an app for that.
1: There is an app for that. There are several apps for that.
0: <laughs> That's much easier than my painstaking drag-and-drop method of backing up.
1: <laughs> so right now you're doing, like, manually copying over yeah. the files. Yeah, (laughs) that takes time, and you might miss something. That's the scary part. I'm stuck
0: in the 2000s. What can I say?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So those are a couple ways to do it. Uh, Do you have anything else about your backup system that you want to confess?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Father, forgive me, Um, for I have not backed up since I uh, got my PhD, because... Yes, I haven't done that. <laughs> wow. um, it's really the frequency that I'm trying to get over. Like, you've already got me into the habit of having multiple off-site things. So now I need to get frequency. But I'm not going to code something up to do this. So, you know, I need to investigate what apps are available through Windows to do this automatically for me. So I used to work at the Severe Storms Laboratory in Norman and I know you know that was a Linux platform. There was a lot of meteorology research going on. And we would only back up on Fridays because this was a long time ago. It was cost prohibitive. It was space prohibitive. And right. as you Linux users know, R M star <laughs> is an awful, awful command. <laughs> and it it, 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 it happened. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened on a Thursday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no. So that was four days of work that were just gone. Exactly.
0: It was, it was just gone. Um, you know, of course, it was great because a lot of it was still there. But everything I'd done, you know, Saturday through Thursday was just gone. Like, I still have nightmares about RM Star. <laughs> I'm sure everybody does. That's, it's awful and terrifying to actually execute that command. But to accidentally execute it, it's even worse.
1: Mm -hmm. And I know uh, one of my friends tells a story of when they did backups on tape.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, Mm -hmm.
1: And that he had accidentally done a very similar thing and started the process of recursively deleting his home directory.
0: Uh Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Stopped it, but there had already been some things that had been deleted. Uh, So I went down to the IT admin's office, and he said, You're lucky and pulled a tape out of the drive and said, I just backed up your home directory.
0: Oh, oh, oh. no sweeter words have ever been spoken. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. So tapes, that's how we used to do it. Now we've got hard drives. But now there's a newfangled thing the kids are using, right? The cloud. There's cloud backups.
1: Is that a cumulonimbus cloud? or?
0: God, I hope so. Those are the big <laughs> ones, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, so cloud storage is this really interesting thing of now everybody's got pretty fast internet connections, so you can send everything on your hard drive to a massive server farm somewhere that probably has more backups than you could dream of, more hard drives than you could dream of in one room.
0: (laughs) Than you could dream of, not me, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) And really the question comes down to do you want somebody else to have your data on their machines and do you want to transmit that data across the internet
0: right that's my problem and i know i have friends that are pretty crazy about you know not letting many people essentially access their information so i am scared of cloud backup for this very reason i mean i'm pretty boring but i just don't want to get data farmed you know so how safe right. is it and should we all do it
1: I think it really depends on who you go with. Anything that you put into, say, Google, okay. you probably don't have that much control over.
0: Which is terrifying, because I love the Google.
1: <laughs> I, I do, too. and But there are other companies, companies like Backblaze, uh, I think Carbon Copy Cloner is another one, that they store your data for you. It's in an encrypted format, so nobody can get to it but you. And they have these apps that you can install on your computer and it backs up your data for you automatically. You never have to think about it. And if your computer crashes, gets stolen, whatever, they will either let you download everything through the web, which you know would take a while, depending on how much you had in there, mm-hmm. or you can pay them, I think it's less than $200, and they'll put it all on a hard drive and ship it to you. And, and
0: send it to you. Wow. You've got
1: all of your things back.
0: Wow. So that brings me to cost, though, because you know, how much money do you need to spend on this? So I've already shelled out for some hard drives, but what does cloud storage cost?
1: Depending on the provider, you can get away with it for about $50 a year.
0: And is, that's pretty good, I guess, to have your entire life backed up for you.
1: Right, because say something horrible should happen, and my two backups, one at home, one at the office, they're separated by about two and a half miles which is pretty small in the scale of a large natural disaster.
0: Or a large-scale EMP, which I'm always nervous about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I like having my data sitting somewhere way far away where I'm actually not even responsible for maintaining that hardware. Uh, so I use Backblaze personally, and it's just a nice security blanket to know that I've got. And they will back up your external hard drives.
0: What is that? Uh, what do you, how do you do that? <laughs>
1: So if you have an external hard drive that you have massive data files on or all of your pictures on that you don't want to keep on the main hard drive of your computer, you plug it into your computer and tell Backblaze to back it up, and wow. it will do that as well. And it will
0: just snatch it right from where you sit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. Okay, 50 Granted, bucks a it might year. take a
1: couple of weeks <laughs> to do upload the first time, depending on the speed of your connection.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But after that, it's incremental. It's very quick. And I have it set where every week they send me an email summary. It says, just wanted to let you know, this is how much of your data we have backed up. Your last backup was today. Everything's in great shape.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that's a really good sense of security. Because I know, you know, I have a kid. I take a thousand pictures. And we just don't have hard copy pictures anymore. Like, in addition to, like, you know, your thesis data or this irreplaceable data, these pictures are, you know, your entire life. And I know I had a laptop stolen. And I mm-hmm. lost three years of pictures. And, wow. you know, they're just gone. And, you know, I asked my friends to get them, and that's a really painful process. Um, but having your just something as simple as your pictures that you take constantly every day, backed up, that's worth $50 a year to me. So.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really kind of a no-brainer to do it. And I do back up my external hard drives. Uh, at my office, I've got... An external RAID system,
0: okay, mm-hmm. which
1: they back up for me. I find that insane for fifty dollars a year that they are willing to do all of this backup. Oh uh, yeah, um, because my RAID system is an eight terabyte RAID, so it has two four terabyte drives that continuously mirror each other.
0: Oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> you are set up like this is this is impressive.
1: <laughs> I, I really don't want to lose data. I work hard to to get that data and. Pictures or data, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: personal right. pictures are things that I really don't want to lose. And to me, it's, it's worth investing some money to make sure all of that's secure. Um, but that being a RAID system, and I just said they're mirrored, that does bring up one good point about cloning your hard drive or mirroring backups, which is if I delete something on that drive, it's going to delete it from both instantly, right? Because ah. they're mirroring. So it's a backup in case of hardware failure, but it is not a backup in case of brain failure.
0: <laughs> that oh crap! I didn't mean to press enter. Failure <laughs> that happens <Right>. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's actually that's a good point. I didn't think about that because like mirroring saves so much time, but it could be you know a bad deal.
1: Right. Uh, one thing, if you're at a university, that you should check into is a lot of universities offer. Uh, backups through different services i know penn state uses tivoli for example so our data collection computers in the lab every night in the wee hours when in theory there's no graduate students there running <laughs> experiments on them
0: not uh, they in contact, practice just in theory <laughs> <laughs>
1: just in theory they contact a backup server and they dump any incremental changes over our network to the server, and the university maintains that for us.
0: So now this is an interesting uh, thing, though, because in our lab, we're working in a shielded room because we don't want any interference with the Earth's magnetic field because I work on paleomagnetism. So we don't have any hardwired connections to the Internet because we don't want anything coming in and out of the room. Like, you know, you don't take your phone in the room, anything like that. So... We'd have to rely on a different system.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you'll have to use sneaker net, as we call it, when you uh, manually shuffle drives back and forth.
0: (laughs) Oh, techie nerd humor. Yes, that is what we'll need. (laughs) Uh,
1: Another option would be to maybe run the cable in and plug it into the computer when you're not collecting data. And then when somebody actually wants to collect data, just unplug the network cable and throw it outside the room.
0: Right, which is something that we actually probably could get into the habit of doing. So, that's a that's a good call. Okay, so another backup. So, we're talking about the cloud. You've got all these hard drives and then you've got the cloud. Now, I said I use Dropbox to back things up, but I know you don't like that.
1: <laughs> no, Dropbox is not a backup service. But it is, uh, John. <laughs> <laughs> Dropbox can be used as one.
0: Uh-huh. But
1: I wouldn't rely on it
0: because <laughs>
1: Because so Dropbox is a great storage service. It's a great syncing service. Uh, it makes me not have to write all these rsync scripts with Linux to sync things between my computers. And that's wonderful. And I love it. I'm a member of Dropbox Pro. But.
0: <laughs> always a but.
1: <laughs> but it doesn't always protect you against those brain failures. Okay. You can delete things. And yes, in Dropbox now, you can go back and get incremental changes for some extent of time. But as I know you and I have experienced, (laughs) even, you can't always quite get everything back. We had uh, a technical glitch when we were recording the first episode that resulted in little hunks of audio disappearing from Shannon's file.
0: (laughs) Yeah, blame it on me. I'm sure it was Windows' fault. That's probably what you think. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, you know, Dropbox did save us a little bit on that, so... That was nice.
1: Right. It's just not, a, it's not meant to be a, uh, a backup service, so I don't want to rely on it as that.
0: Right. Had I a mirroring hard drive, blah, 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 then we might not have had those problems.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the other thing that I've experienced before with Dropbox, and I will say their tech support was fantastic on this, I was syncing some experimental data over, and there was something in one of the files that sent Dropbox into this really strange infinite syncing loop. Oh, and all of my computers would get very hot. Dropbox would use the entire processor.
0: Wow. And
1: it just, it would perpetually sync for hours. And there's nothing there.
0: That's really strange. And, and I
1: ended up having to remove that directory completely.
0: But they helped you. And then you put it back in Dropbox. Do all that. Mm.
1: They helped me do all that. It was, it was great. I tweeted to them and they were very responsive in helping me figure out what was going on. But strange things can still happen. So you don't necessarily want to trust a syncing service with (laughs) everything for your backup.
0: As we've learned. um, Yeah, exactly. It sounds like the more the merrier in terms of backups. I mean, especially, you know, we're working on geology. Well, I'm working on geology stuff. So I have a lot of these, like, actual rocks, (laughs) right? That (laughs) they're irreplaceable, and the data we get is irreplaceable, and that can be backed up. But I have all these rocks, (laughs) (laughs)
1: And at some point in a near future show, I want to talk about backing up physical rock samples.
0: Okay. Um, That sounds weird, but it sounds like it would be a good thing because I have a lot of rocks.
1: (laughs) And not only backing up, but cataloging. So that's cataloging is important for physical samples. It's also important for your digital data. And I don't know how many times I've seen somebody back up their, say, their dissertation or their thesis file by having multiple copies of it, say, in the same folder. And I'm going to put in the show notes this uh, link to this comic. It says, the <laughs> only file naming convention that works. Ah. Project, Project 2, Project Final 2, <laughs> Project Final Final, this one, and etc. It's et so true.
0: <laughs> it's so true. That's what my dissertation folder looks like. Final, Final, Final. Read this one first. <laughs> oh, Actually, yeah.
1: no look here. This is the last one two
0: (laughs) did you just steal that off of my hard drive because yes that is my (laughs) that is completely my convention that is what i do and that's what everyone does right that's why there's a phd comic about it
1: right a lot of people do that and i know at some point we'll talk about version control which is not really backup but it's a form of keeping track of all of these revisions that you do and being able to go back to any of them
0: Okay. But without like just recopying it as a separate file over and over again and taking up all the space. Right. Because even though space so it, is cheap, it's still better to have a good, clean digital footprint. Right.
1: Right. And that's also important too, when, if you're a grad student at some point, hopefully you're going to graduate.
0: <laughs> yes, hopefully.
1: <laughs> and you, you want, you want to hand your data to your advisor, to your research group, uh, in some format that's vaguely usable because the project's not going to stop when you leave, very yes. likely.
0: Yes, exactly. And I know my advisor's desk looks like a um, a, a war zone of thumb drives. <laughs> <laughs> and It's quite comical, but it takes a long time for him to find anything, which might be user error. But it's also, you know, a bad data practice on the part of his students. So I totally agree with that.
1: Well, yeah, and sometimes, too, I mean, this is a little bit of a touchy topic, but things can happen to you. Like, you or I could be in a car accident. Something horrible could happen to us. And somebody has to know what to do with our data. Somebody has to be able to get to these things. Uh, you need to have some kind of a plan for a kind of a scientific executor.
0: That's That's exactly true. That is not, you know, a fun thing to think about, but... I mean, that's why we're working to do what we do is to add to the scientific knowledge. And it would be a shame, and I'm sure this has happened a lot, that a lot of scientific knowledge is lost when the person dies and then there's no way to understand their, their research because they don't have good digital practices. So as depressing as it is, it's a really good point because you want your contributions to, you know, keep making a difference after you're gone.
1: Yeah. And in a lot of times now, especially, you're going to have a legal obligation to make this data publicly available, accessible, and in a clean format. Uh, the government or whoever your funding agency end is, is giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars to go out and collect this data. And they don't want to see that go away because you retire or because something else happens.
0: Right. Exactly. And I'm sure that whole open access to data is an entire another show that we both have a lot <laughs> to say about. But wrapping it up, we need a lot of different backup methods. It's good to keep your backups clean and in a format where everyone can figure them out, right? John probably goes to the extreme, but he's never gonna lose (laughs) anything. Whereas I'm probably gonna lose, you know, semesters worth chunks of my data because I don't backup enough. But this is gonna put me on the right track (laughs) to get into a good (laughs) habit of being a good digital citizen, right?
1: Absolutely, and if folks have different ways that they do their backups, Please let us know. Let us know what you back up, how you back it up. And you can do that by sending us an email. It's show at uh, You could just go ahead and enter some text or record yourself with your phone. Use the, the voice memo app and send us an audio comment. We'd love to hear from you there. So, Shannon, do you have anything else to say about backups before we move on to everybody's favorite segment?
0: <laughs> no, I'm just getting busy trying to buy another mirroring hard drive so I don't lose, you know, these show notes like I did the first show notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, downsize the Amazon window because it's time for Fun Paper Friday.
0: <laughs> Yay! I brought my cowbell this time. I thought we needed a little more a little more cowbell for Fun we, Paper we do Friday. Have...
1: We do have more cowbell now.
0: (laughs) Don't panic, Geocast. Now with more cowbell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Shannon, what did you pick out for us to read this Friday?
0: Okay, so this Friday, I picked out a piece in the News and Views in Nature Geosciences, so sort of my favorite thing to peruse. And it's talking about tectonics in the Earth's core.
1: This is something that I actually don't know a ton about, That's (laughs)
0: shocking. (laughs) Um, It's kind of, it kind of goes along with what I've been teaching in class because I teach this non majors class about native sciences. So, native people's thinking on how the earth works. But we also talk about, you know, what we found in Western science. So, one of the first things we talk about in class is, you know, differentiation of the planet. What happens first? You know, we've got this inner core that's made of solid metal. This outer it's like
1: core. iron nickel and that kind of stuff right right
0: exactly so iron and nickel this outer core that's not solid but it's liquid iron and nickel okay so the first paragraph in this talks about how the inner core is still growing and it's possibly within the last 600 million years it's been growing to its present size i never really thought about that <laughs>
1: <laughs> the sentence that really struck me early on in this paper, it's in the second paragraph, when they talked about the rate of that crystallization. They said the fluid outer core is crystallizing at a rate of 4 to 5 million kilograms per second.
0: That's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yes. It's just such a massive number, it's hard to conceptualize.
0: When you look at a cutaway of the Earth, you don't think of the outer core and the inner core really even being that big. You know, I think we have sort of a skewed vision of how big this part of the Earth is because we don't know a lot about it. But it's got to be huge that we still have a fluid outer core that's still cooling at 4 to 5 million kilograms per second, right? That's... (laughs)
1: Well, oh, right, and the the rotation of this fluid and the relationship with the solid inner core really is kind of what gives you a job as a paleomagnetist.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed it does. Um, <laughs> and it, it talks about that in here, because as long as we've got this liquid core that's rotating somehow that we still do to physical processes we don't understand, we're creating a changing magnetic field on Earth, and that's what we record in the rocks at the surface, right? So... Yes, its existence gives me a job. <laughs> but it's really <laughs> weird to think. You just think of it as this iron and nickel big thing rotating around. But what this article is saying is that actually using geophysics, we can image the core, and there's actual tectonics taking place in the inner and outer core.
1: Yes. So, so mostly what they were saying, I think, was that this is a, a model, and it's pretty hard to actually measure this, Uh, because of distance and pretty small contrasts in values. But yeah, they're actually saying that through temperature gradients that would tend to destabilize the core and make it convect, and then chemical concentration gradients that would actually tend to stabilize the core because light elements are on the outside uh, crystallizing out later, that you get this really shallow convection and tectonic motion.
0: Right. And it's very similar to the same tectonic motion that makes mountains at the surface. That was sort of awesome to actually visualize that those two processes are happening contrastingly, and it's creating these shear zones and these sheets within the core that actually get thrust over each other along thrust faults, which are just low angle reverse faults. So you have the sheet after sheet thrusting over each other below the inner core boundary. And you can see this, well, you can model this with geophysics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as you said, there are a lot, of, a lot of caveats to this sort of idea, but it's a really cool idea.
1: Right. Well, and like all these short papers, you know, you don't really get to go into the details and the nitty-gritty, especially in something like a News and Views article. But, no, it's a really interesting idea and made me think about a lot of things. Like, well, due to some, some funny business, it's losing heat faster at the equator right. of the core. But that's so that there's all this complex topography.
0: Right. But we don't see that yet, right? That's no. just what you would model and expect to see. It's, it's crazy to think, you know, we have seismic surveys here at the surface that we run all the time. And we do this in industry to find oil. We do it to find water gradients and all kinds of things and there are a lot of problems with processing that data you know is your mediums are they isotropic you know you get a lot of anisotropy issues so to think that we can go sixty, seven hundred kilometers deep into the earth and look at this <laughs> without seeing some issues you know obviously those exist
1: right And when I was doing some Google searching after reading this, just because I was interested to see what else had happened since this article came out, since it's uh, a little bit old of a paper now, and I found this paper that came out actually on February 9th, so two days ago now, when we're (laughs) recording this.
0: (laughs) I knew it.
1: (laughs) In Nature Geoscience. And it turns out that we're even going to subdivide the core more and make it more complicated.
0: I I feel like that's what we do in Western science in general. Is something that we don't understand. We're just going to chop it up and categorize it even more. So we've got an inner core and an outer core. What do we have now?
1: Well, now, based on anisotropy, this paper by Wang et al. is saying that we have an inner inner core and an outer inner core and then the outer core.
0: So these differentiations, I'm assuming, are coming through more geophysical data that we have, stating that you know maybe there's even more tectonic movement recorded in the core than we originally thought, or that we thought in 2009.
1: Yeah, so this study was done with uh, autocorrelation of CODA signals from earthquakes. Oh, okay. And we'll link the paper in if anybody wants to read it and give us any of their thoughts on it. I actually... Don't talk to that many people that study really deep earth processes on a regular basis.
0: Uh, No, neither do I. And I think it's funny that, you know, my whole, just like you said, my whole existence (laughs) relies on this (laughs) deep earth process. But I feel like we just kind of, you know, poo poo it a little bit because we don't understand the physics of it, which is mind blowing to me. That and exciting. It's the exciting thing about science is that there's still all these physical processes we don't understand, which, I mean, I made a note to myself that I wanted to point out to you, too, when I was reading this, that we're comparing the same physics that make, you know, the the Cordillera here in North America, like the same physics that have created the Cordillera, these compressional tectonic forces are the same physics that are acting on the liquid and solid metal at the center of the earth. Like it's the Mm -hmm. exact same physics you just use different instead of using you know this limestone cover layer in the cordillera you're using this iron nickel (laughs) cover layer in the core that's right that was always the coolest thing to me about meteorology and geology people asked both of us why we studied both of those things it's the exact same physics but the different time scales of how things happen in the atmosphere versus how they happen in rocks is the only difference the medium (sighs) is different same physics.
1: Yeah and unfortunately you know uh, especially in deeper things the free surface approximation really doesn't <laughs> <laughs> doesn't help out so much and
0: all that overburden blah blah blah
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well that's it for Fun Paper Friday so be sure to let us know what you're reading with the hashtag Fun Paper Friday and send us some feedback. So Shannon where can they do that?
0: All right they can find us at dontpanicgeocast.com also on the Twitter sphere at dontpanicgeo John is at geo underscore Lehman, and I am at Shannon Doolin.
1: And we do ask that if you enjoy our podcast, or even if you don't, go to iTunes and write a review and rate us. It helps other people that would enjoy the show find the show by getting us in the iTunes search engine, and it gives us some feedback on what you all like and don't like and want to hear about.
0: Exactly. We want to hear from you, and that will help us shape future shows.
1: Yes, and thanks to the couple people that have already written a review, (laughs) one of them being Hannah Lastname Redacted, who had sent us some feedback last week. (laughs)
0: Thanks, (laughs) Hannah. All right, that's it for this week's show. We'll see you all next week.
1: Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.